course, are studying the life of Moses. And it would be very tempting for me just to work my way through the book of Exodus, looking at all those wonderful and glorious accounts. But I'm going to resist that temptation. And what I'm seeking to do is to focus in on the person and character of Moses, uh, thinking of him more as an individual as opposed to the ministry that he entered into. Certainly the ministry and the person cannot be totally separated, but, but I want to try to get a sense of what made Moses tick and how difficult the responsibilities were that were placed upon Moses. He certainly was an extremely unique individual. He was the most monumental character in the entire Old Testament. There are many, many references to Moses, both in the Old and the New Testament. And perhaps the most remarkable characteristic we see of Moses is that the scripture says that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was the most humble. Uh, We see some of that humility tonight in a rather peculiar fashion. And it's the humility that he expresses as a father. Of course, it's Father's Day, and we think about being a father. And in the passage before us, there's a a rather odd and peculiar circumstance in Moses' life in which we get a glimpse of him as a husband and father. That'll come about halfway through tonight's study. But if you look at your handout with me, I've entitled this that Moses learns to deal with personal hardships. There were a number of difficulties, hardships, especially emotionally, that Moses had to deal with very early on before he actually uh, goes and confronts Pharaoh. The first is Moses encountered hardships associated with saying goodbye. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. There is the emotional difficulty for Moses and his wife to leave loved ones behind. He is very respectful in verse 18. He says, Please let me go. He's seeking the blessing of his father-in-law. He's seeking to leave on good terms. And certainly the father-in-law isn't going to particularly want to see uh, his daughter and uh, grandsons leave, but uh, God graciously works, and uh, the, grand, the uh, father-in-law, Jethro, goes along. But B, there is the difficulty of explaining to family the reasons that oftentimes motivate us. If you look at verse 18, the reason that Moses gives for leaving and going into the land of Egypt is to see if they are still alive, to see if they're still alive. Um, and I have here, note what Moses does not say. First, he says nothing of delivering his countrymen. He doesn't say, I'm going down in Egypt in order to set my people free. He says nothing of God having appeared to him. Nothing about the burning bush. Nothing about the charge that God had placed upon him. He says nothing of the signs that God had given him to perform. It doesn't appear that he performed any of the signs for his father-in-law or that his father-in-law was, was aware of anything. 
So, why does Moses say what he does? And, of course, the answer to that is pure speculation. There's nothing in the text that helps us to understand what motivated him to say what he did and to refrain from saying what he refrained from saying. The commentators, of course, love to speculate. And some take it as positive. Some take it as negative. Some see this as wisdom on the part of Moses. Because uh, his father-in-law may not understand, may not be in agreement. Uh, wisdom is the greater part of valor. So that uh, he refrained from sharing these things from his father-in-law. Others have said it was a weakness on Moses' part. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is it must have been lonely for Moses uh, in the sense that uh, he, he, he has support, but not really for the ministry that he's going to do. He's, he's able to leave with the blessing of his father-in-law to go into the land of Egypt and to see if his people are still alive. But his father-in-law doesn't know anything that he's going to encounter or face. And it appears that the only people that know that are maybe his wife Zipporah and Aaron. Other than that, Moses is on his own. See, however, God was gracious to Moses, providing Moses with a supportive father-in-law in letting him go. For he says, go in peace. Number two. Moses encountered hardships in conquering his fears. Exodus 4, 19 and 20. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. From this portion of Scripture, we learn that Moses was still afraid of the people that he had fled from many years earlier. And so God tells him, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. For 40 years, Moses had lived as a fugitive. He had lived in the wilderness. He had fled from Egypt, and he fled for his life, having feared Pharaoh for having killed that Egyptian, as you remember the story. And so, as I say, for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, uh, a stranger in a strange land, and fearing that Someone is going to come after him. That certainly is not a pleasant way to live one's life. However, as a result of the comfort they received from God, he was willing to return to Egypt. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Thirdly, Moses encountered the hardship of dealing with difficult people. In Exodus 4.21 it says, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart, so he will not let the people go. Uh, the focus of the passage changes. Where previously the children of Israel were in view, now it is Pharaoh in view. In chapter 3, the concern is, what if the Israelites do not believe? Exodus 4.1, then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. Well, God gives him the signs. The hand becoming leprous, the staff becoming a snake, etc. 
and the signs will prove to be effective for the children of Israel, but not for Pharaoh. Look under D, Exodus 4.21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. These signs are going to be effective for the children of Israel, but they are not going to be effective for Pharaoh. And with that, God graciously prepares Moses for the fact that it's not going to be well received by Pharaoh. This becomes very, very important in Moses' thinking as he works through. Not only does Pharaoh not let the children of Israel go, but he's going to make it much worse for them. And that's going to be problematic for Moses. The people are going to complain against Moses. And Moses is going to uh, pour out his heart before God and say, God, I don't understand. You have sent me down here to deliver these people. And you have been concerned about the hardship and difficulty that they've been facing. They've been crying out to you. And now since I've come, nothing but hardship and greater misery has come to pass. One of the great frustrations for anyone in ministry is when they think that what they are doing is of no value. That they don't see an effect. They don't see something material manifest. You know, uh, we had a great turnout for Teen Week. We're rejoicing in the great number that came. And Pastor Dave said, but we're not aware of anyone who made a profession of faith. That doesn't mean there wasn't someone. But we're not aware of someone. And that can be discouraging to people. That can be a course of, of being put off. Look at all the time, the energy, money, uh, effort that's put forth, and it doesn't seem to have produced anything. What value is in it? What benefit is there? And we could, of course, talk about many side benefits uh, that, that did take place and the way in which God's working in the hearts and lives of individuals. All I'm saying to you is that Moses knew this frustration as it dealt with Pharaoh. Four, Moses encountered the hardship of having to deliver an unpleasant message. Exodus 4, 23. Then you shall say, this is before Moses ever gets to the land of Egypt. God's telling him what he's going to do. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn son. So I said to you, let my people go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn son. So, Moses is told that Pharaoh will not let the people of Israel go. And the response that Moses is to have is to say, if you won't let, your, let the children of Israel go, your firstborn son is going to die. Now, I don't know anyone that would love to go up to someone else and inform them of God's judgment that because of their hardness of heart and because of their refusal to listen, they are going to experience the death of their firstborn son. I don't know who enjoys that kind of message. And again, one of the difficulties 
of being a father, a mother, a parent, a leader in the church, and just being a Christian, is that on many occasions we are called upon to say things to people that are unpleasant. We're called on to confront people. We're called upon to rebuke people. We're called upon to address certain things in people's lives. And maybe somebody that's really honorary and mean and so on may take some kind of strange pleasure in that. But I certainly don't, and I doubt very much that you do. I dread certain conversations. I don't look forward to certain things that have to be said to people. Inwardly, I draw back. I'm, I'm kind of a quiet guy to begin with. I'm not a person who, who likes confrontation, believe it or not. I would much rather just sit and live in peace. And yet, you know that there are certain things that you've got to say. So there are certain things that you have to address. And you may understand that very well. Laying in your bed at night, thinking about your own children. And things that, that you feel you need to address. And you're afraid it's not going to be well received. Uh, you don't think it's, it's going to produce the, the fruit and the benefit that you hope that it would. You are concerned about perhaps the estrangement that's going to result. Maybe they're going to become angry. Maybe they're going to become upset. Maybe they aren't going to appreciate what you have to say and dismiss you. Well, those are all the kinds of things that are running through Moses' heart and mind as God informs him that he's going to have to go and tell Pharaoh and the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt that if they are not repentant, if they don't observe the Passover, that their firstborn child is going to die. And perhaps if we are honest, one of the things that, pre that prevents us from sharing the gospel more readily with people is we are concerned about how that message is going to be received. Are we going to be viewed as narrow-minded? Are we going to be viewed as judgmental? Are we going to be viewed as people that are condemnatory of others because we're going to address sin and the need to repent? Well, Moses was not um, free from those kinds of issues and concerns. But the most striking in this passage, and which is most significant for us in this Father's Day evening, is five, Moses encountered the hardship of maintaining a consistent family life. We know extremely little about Moses' personal family life. We know where he got his wife from. Zipporah tells us that, that she was a Midianite and she was the uh, uh, daughter of a priest of Midian. We are not told when his children were born. We're not told about what it was like for their family, for their household. For Moses, who was brought up as an Israelite, a Hebrew, uh, to be married to a woman who was not a Hebrew, 
not an Israelite, not brought up uh, with that teaching, that background. What was their home life like? Well, we get a very, very brief but intriguing glimpse into their home life in Exodus 4.24. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Uh, The text is somewhat obscure, but it would appear that the hymn is Moses. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You're indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. That appears to be God. Let Moses alone. At that time she said, You're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So what's going on here? Well, before Moses could go and minister to Pharaoh, he had set his own house in order. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way. As Moses is going, as Moses is being obedient, as Moses is doing the will of God, as Moses is carrying out the responsibilities that God has laid upon him, as Moses is going into the land of Israel, deliver the children of Israel from their bondage, God appears to him. And God meets with him. And God is displeased with him. Not because of his failure to go, but in his failure to have circumcised his own son. B. It was Moses, the head of the house, that God rebuked for not having circumcised Moses' son. Now, it came about the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Not them, not Moses and Zipporah, although she was with him, obviously. But it wasn't about Moses and Zipporah. It was about Moses. And God was displeased with Moses. See, it appears that it was Moses' wife, Zipporah, that did not want their son to be circumcised. For we read in verses 25 and 26, Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, there's no good way of reading that verse. It appears that it had been a bone of contention between them for a long time. For notice, it says that Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, and threw it at Moses' feet. It's apparent that she is upset with Moses. She's unhappy with Moses. She doesn't want her son to be circumcised. And Moses, up until this time, had gone along. uh, Moses had acquiesced. Moses had given in in order to keep peace, in order to please his wife. Uh, Their son is not circumcised. But notice in the text, the, the time in which this appears is very significant. For if you look back, In the text, uh, 
Just above that, in verses 22 and 23, under Roman numeral 4. Then you should say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my, first, my son, my firstborn. So, Israel, in their relationship to God, is like a firstborn. So, I said to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn son. Because Pharaoh refuses to let the children of Israel go, who is God's firstborn son, in order to serve God, it's going to result in the death of the firstborn. Here is Moses going to say to Pharaoh, you must let your son and the nation of Israel, you must let them go in order to serve me. But Moses hadn't let his own son go. Moses had not reared his own son to serve God. Moses, out of a desire to keep peace, did not perform circumcision. And with that, I would assume to some degree, failed to instruct his son in what he knew to be the truth. He wasn't willing, hadn't taken that stand in his house. And so God is ready to take Moses' life, for how can Moses go and require that of this heathen when he himself had not submitted to God in his own life? So I say it, it's, it's rather striking to me. E. It would seem from other portions of Scripture that at this point Zipporah leaves Moses and returns to her father-in-law. She passes out of the picture. We don't hear anything more of Zipporah and the sons until you get to Exodus chapter 18, verse 2. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away. So Moses had sent Zipporah away. When did he do that? The text is silent. There is no reference to Moses having sent Zipporah away. I would submit to you that logically, it would appear it's at this point. Again, she doesn't appear. It doesn't seem as though his family is with him in the land of Egypt. This was such a bone of contention. She is so upset. She throws the foreskin at his feet and says, you're a bloody husband to me. And it must have caused such a division that Moses sends her back to her father. That's a hardship. That's a heartache. That's a a difficult thing to do. You know, it's, a, it's sad when people give themselves to the Lord's work. And after having given themselves to the Lord's work, their own family members don't serve God. I think of Percy Crawford. Many of you know the name Percy Crawford. 
uh, had uh, the uh, camp before we did, Pinebrook Bible Conference, used as a great radio evangelist, was instrument, an instrument of God uh, that was used to bring hundreds if not thousands of people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Percy Crawford's own sons did not make professions of faith. That's got to be a heartache. That's got to be a difficulty. God's been gracious to me. All my children have made professions of faith. But it would be a source of great anguish. And quite frankly, it would be a, a, a source of great mystery to me if God would not have saved my children. And yet I know friends, co-workers, who are in that very place. All I'm telling you is that Moses must have gone into the land of Egypt with a heavy heart. He started out with his wife and his two sons. And he ends up going alone. It's just going to be him and Aaron. That's a hardship. That's a difficulty. Now, by the grace of God, as you work through Exodus chapter 18, Jethro brings her, her back. Jethro seems to be a, a tremendous influence in this situation. Appears that they're reconciled. Appears that things work out well. But at this point in time, it's a great hardship. Six. Moses encountered the hardship of persevering unto the end. Then the anger of the Lord had burned against Moses, and he said, Is not your father, your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his, glad in your heart, his heart. This is back to the burning bush. I'm taking this out of sequence to bring us to verse 27. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him in the mountain of God, and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which the Lord had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. So here is a brother, Aaron, one that loved him. He kissed him when he saw him. Moses is able to share everything that God had done. Everything that God had said. Nothing was withheld. Here was someone that he was given to confide in. Aaron proved to be a great blessing to Moses. But Aaron also proved to be a tremendous heartache for Moses. Because remember when Moses is on the mount receiving the Ten Commandments, meanwhile back at the ranch, Aaron is forming the golden calves that the children of Israel are encouraged to worship and many die. How disappointed he must have been in his brother. How difficult it must have been having gone through so much together 
And Aaron being his right-hand man, going through all of the difficulties with Pharaoh, going through all the difficulties of leading the children of Israel, his most trusted person on the face of this earth. And Moses goes to speak with God and comes back and has to deal with the mess that Aaron has created. Our loved ones, at one and the same time, can be the greatest source of encouragement and help and blessing. And then also be the source of the greatest consternation, sadness, difficulty, problem. For now, Moses is going to have to deal with Aaron. That one that he had trusted in at this particular point in his life. And note that the Lord appeared unto Aaron. Now the Lord said to Aaron, the Lord had already prepared Aaron for the task. As Moses' life was spared, so too Aaron's life had been spared. We read nothing of that in the text. We don't know how that happened. We do know of Moses' life being spared. And, of course, we know the story of the basket and the bulrushes. What had God done in Aaron's life? Big question mark. We don't know. But God obviously spared him. God obviously protected him. God obviously was at work in his life, which again teaches us some important things about these narratives. That is, they focus in on particular people so that we might understand the redemptive work of God. But we're never to assume that it's only these individuals that God is at work in. There were many, many people spared along with Moses. For if you remember, Pharaoh wants to know why these Hebrew children are still alive. And the uh, midwives come back and say, well, because these women are lively and they give birth before we're able to get there. God had spared the lives of many. And this too, Moses cannot lose lose sight of. Two, as Moses had fled Egypt, so too Aaron had fled Egypt. I'm assuming he fled. For whatever reason, Moses and Aaron are in the same locale. They're both in the land of Midian. Both having been born in Egypt. They must have had a lot in common. And God had given Aaron a special love for Moses. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. See, together Moses and Aaron ministered to their fellow Israelites. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed as God said they would. So the people believed. So the people believed. 
That is a verse in this narrative. If you write in your Bible or if you uh, make notes in your Bible, if you circle stuff, if you underline it, I think this is a verse that's worth underlining. Because as you think about the response of the Israelites from here on out until they're finally drawn out of the land of Egypt and then even in the wilderness wandering, it doesn't appear like there's a lot of belief going on. There certainly isn't a lot of spiritual maturity. There certainly isn't a lot of growth. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of anger. There is a lot of fault-finding against Moses and Aaron. There are all kinds of things going on here. And yet the Scripture says that they believed. Which teaches us another important lesson. Just because people are believers does not mean that there aren't difficulties, there aren't hardships, there aren't obstacles to overcome. I think sometimes in people's naivety, they think that all that has to happen is someone comes to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they're a believer, then everything's going to be fine. Not so. Not if they're not walking with God. Not if they aren't trusting in His Word. Not if they aren't growing in their faith. Not if they aren't progressing spiritually. In fact, it can be even more frustrating. Because Moses often refers to them as a stiff-necked and rebellious people. And I personally think the most difficult aspect of ministry is dealing with stiff-necked and obstinate Christians. We expect it from non-believers. We expect non-believers to act a certain way. We expect them not to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. But when a person professes faith, we expect more from them. And when it doesn't occur, it can be Devastating. I think of our brother uh, Paul Toppy. He has a great work. And there are many, many men that profess faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And they're out on their own. And some go on in a powerful way. Others fall back into a former lifestyle and difficulty. That doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't saved. That doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't genuine. As we think of this verse. But I tell you, it must be a hardship for Paul. It's discouraging to invest your life in people only to see them fall backwards. It's discouraging for parents. It's discouraging for Sunday school teachers. It's discouraging for anyone that is ministering to a people who don't turn out to be as supportive and as, as godly as we would hope that they would. So E, however the problems have not ended, they're only beginning.
This verse, 31, when it says they believed, it isn't then everything lives happily ever after. Unfortunately, we have chapter 5. And we'll look at some of that to get a sense of what is going on in the heart and mind of Moses. But let me just say to you, I think there are these, there's tremendous value in these, these character studies from the Old Testament. If we take the time to really put ourselves in the shoes of others, we took a lot of time with Joseph and trying to understand what it's like to grow up in a dysfunctional family. I'm just saying, think of Moses, who by and large is ministering by himself. And he has one person to confide in, to take joy in, to minister alongside, and it's Aaron. And for a long time, Aaron is that stalwart for Moses. And then, Aaron miserably fails God and Moses. What a heartache. And Moses perseveres. Moses goes on. I just read a, a biography about John Owen. And I didn't know very much about Owen. And one of the things that I did not realize until I read the biography is that he had 11 children. And each one of those 11 children died in infancy or teenage years. None of them made them to adulthood. And they died almost on a yearly basis. For 11 years in a row, almost, he was experiencing death after death after death in his family. And then his wife preceded him in death. And I was amazed at that. Because I have read a lot of John Owen's works. And not a hint of that comes through. No sense of disappointment with God. No sense of God having failed him. He has written some of the most wonderful works on the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. And he has written profusely. And then to learn of the situation out of which he wrote just gave me a greater, profound appreciation for this godly individual. We don't always know what struggles, hardships, difficulties are going on in the hearts of God's people. But God calls us to persevere. And Moses does. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace and goodness and Lord, the way in which you work and move in the lives of your people. Lord, we have believed, we have made professions of faith. Guard us and keep us. Help us to be a people that honor and serve you. Help us not to be discouraged, to grow weary, or Lord, to be frustrated by the experiences of life. But may we too learn to overcome hardship. And may it be said of us that we are meek and humble people, ready to serve you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.